Hello and a very warm welcome back to another episode of the Tips and Advice for Business podcast. Coming up in this episode, if the threatened power blackouts are imposed this winter and you're forced to temporarily close the workplace for a few hours each time, can you impose short-time working to cover those hours? Because after all, why should you pay to have staff sitting around doing nothing in the dark? Plus, an employee has handed in their notice, but when does it start to run from? Keep listening and we'll quickly take you to the answer. And please don't forget to visit indicator-flm.co.uk to download our series of free mini guides to tax and HR matters. There's no obligation whatsoever. You're listening to Tips and Advice for Business, the weekly podcast that trawls through the latest business news, legislation and case law, distilling often complex legal and tax requirements into bite-sized advice and realistic solutions to everyday challenges. And all this in just a few short minutes, because we know that your time is precious. The Tips and Advice for Business podcast is freely available on all the usual platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon and Deezer and is brought to you by those ever so nice people at Indicator FL Memo. For supporting information, please visit indicator-flm.co.uk. Your host today is Duncan Callow, solicitor and publisher. It's seemingly all doom and gloom on the economic front at the moment and it might turn to gloom in the workplace too if the power goes out this winter. If the talked about power blackouts are imposed and you're forced to temporarily close the workplace for a few hours hours each time, can you impose short time working to cover those hours? After all, why should you pay to have staff sitting around doing nothing? So what's the background to this? Well, the National Grid has warned that the UK may be facing power cuts this winter, which, if imposed, are likely to comprise rolling three-hour blackouts for both personal and business consumers in different geographical areas. It's also possible that they may take place on only a day's notice, putting you in a very difficult situation. If you're forced to temporarily close your workplace during these blackouts and your workers can't work even from home, one option is short-time working. What is this? Well, it's where the employee works only part of a week and so receives proportionately reduced pay, in this case by asking them to do short days or not to work at all on power blackout days. Sounds like a solution, but could it really work for your business? Well, the reality is that you can only unilaterally impose unpaid short-time working on employees where you have the contractual right to do so. Now, you've probably heard this many times before. If it's not in the contract, you can't do it. But even with this contractual right, to comply with the implied term of mutual trust and confidence, you should still First, meet with staff to discuss your intentions and take their views into account, so don't spring it on them. There's nothing to stop you carrying out this consultation process now in in anticipation of possible power blackouts coming up in the weeks and months to come. Then, at the appropriate time, you can implement the short-time working with written notice. That's important. Uh, Make sure you, you, you confirm everything you've said in writing. If your contracts already have a short-time working clause, and to be honest, many don't, but they don't also include the right not to pay the employee, you'll have to continue paying them their normal pay during the short-time working period, unless, of course, they consent to unpaid short-time working, which seems unlikely in a cost-of-living crisis. But if you don't have a suitable clause in your employment contracts, you need each employee's express consent 
preferably obtained in writing again, to unpaid short-time working, and you must make clear what they're being asked to consent to. This is because imposing unpaid short-time working without having the contractual authority risks employees bringing claims for unlawful deductions from wages or even resigning and claiming constructive dismissal. Find yourself in the employment tribunal and then all the savings that you've uh, tried to secure are going to be instantly wiped out in legal costs and potentially tribunal awards. There's a point of note here, and that is that in certain industries, there may be, emphasise the word may, be an implied right to impose short-time working through custom and practice, but it's a very strict test. You'll need a custom of imposing it within your business, which is reasonable and certain. If you're in any doubt, take legal advice on this. So what about payment where short-time working is possible in your workplace? Well, employees on short-time working may be entitled to guarantee pay for so-called workless days, limited to a maximum of five workless days in a three-month period for full-time employees, and it's calculated pro rata for part-timers. However, you don't have to pay guarantee pay for any day on which the employee does some work, as then that's not a workless day. So if a power blackout uh, means that you close the workplace for up to three hours, but the employee still works for the rest of that working day, it's not a workless day and no guarantee pay is due. Where guarantee pay is due for a workless day, it's based on the employee's normal daily uh, pay rate, subject to a maximum of currently £31 per day. So what's the key takeaway from this? Well, you can only unilaterally impose unpaid short-time working to cover uh, these potential uh, power cuts where you have the contractual right to do so. So do check your contracts. If you don't have the right, you'll need to obtain each employee's express agreement to it. Otherwise, you'll have to pay them their normal pay for the short-time working period. Where short-time working is properly implemented, you only have to give guarantee pay for a workless day. A few hours off work won't count as workless. Anyway, let's hope that these power cuts uh, don't materialise and we get through the winter with the lights on. Uh, but if not, hope you found this information helpful. So we've received a question from one of our listeners about when an employee's notice period starts to run. It's actually quite a common question and it's a surprisingly complicated area of the law. So we're going to do our best to clarify it for you. Here's the question as we received it. One of our employees recently handed in their month's notice and we took this as starting the next day. However, they are insisting that the notice period should start on the day we received their resignation. Who is correct? Well, here's our answer. Assuming that the employee's employment contract doesn't state otherwise, their notice period usually commences the day after they've given you their notice. For example, if they handed a notice to you on a Tuesday, then their month's notice period commences the following day, i.e. on the Wednesday. And note, it doesn't make any difference if they give uh, their notice first thing on the Tuesday morning. It's still effective in legal for legal purposes the following day, the Wednesday. Now, this can be problematic even a day uh, either way uh, if the employer is starting a new job immediately, i.e. They, there's no gap between the old job finishing and new one starting. Now, where the notice commencement date is disputed, as in this case from our listener, 
you can't force the employee to attend work to correctly complete their notice period, even if it's only a day, you can't force them to do that. But pay can be deducted for any part of the notice period that's not properly worked. The employee could, in theory, submit a tribunal claim, but this is unlikely for one day's lost earnings. So, in summary, when an employee tenders their resignation, the notice period usually commences the following day, not on the day you receive it. You can't force them to properly complete the notice period, but, ca- but pay can be deducted for any part that's not worked. Hope we've clarified this tricky area of employment law for you. Can you believe it? We've reached the end of another episode of the Tips and Advice for Business podcast. But don't worry, we'll be back again very soon with even more incisive advice that you can apply readily to your business. But for now, thanks for sharing your time with us and goodbye. You've been listening to the Tips and Advice for Business podcast. Every week, we trawl through the latest business news, legislation and case law, distilling often complex legal and tax requirements into bite-sized tips, advice and solutions. For more information about our products and services, please visit indicator-flm.co.uk.